Would you open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 2? Uh, this morning as we look at God's Word, I just want to make some very simple observations and applications about uh, the need for us to always uh, seek the Lord to give us guidance and direction. When He tells us what we ought to do, then we need to be committed to do it. But then we need to realize that even though we are pursuing the will of God, that doesn't mean that our lives will be conflict-free. So three very simple points to be made this morning from our text. Uh, this is a, a passage about the life of King David of Israel. David, as you know, was anointed by Samuel the prophet, according to the will of God, uh, to be the king of Israel. But Saul would not relinquish his throne. Instead, Saul sought to kill David. And thus David spent the first 10 years about after he was anointed to be the king running from Saul uh, as though he were an animal to be hunted. But now uh, finally in God's providence Saul has been removed. The Philistines have killed Saul and unfortunately as well they've also killed David's best friend, his beloved Jonathan, Saul's son. And so now David finds himself living outside of Israel. He's living among the Philistines. And now he's trying to decide what should he do next. So we pick up then with 2 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to read uh, down to verse uh, 11. Here now the reading of God's word. Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed to the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord and have buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you and also uh, I will show this goodness to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant for Saul your Lord is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, even over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he was king for two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. The time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many promises you make to us in your word uh, that you will direct us if we will trust in you and pursue uh, the knowledge of your will. We thank you, Father, that we don't live in darkness, that you have brought us from darkness into light by your grace and mercy. And you shine the light of your word upon our path. And we pray now, Heavenly Father, that you would instruct us in your way. 
We pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. We acknowledge, Heavenly Father, that these things that we treat this morning are spiritual in nature, and that the natural man cannot understand the things of God. So we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, to grant us understanding and grant us courage uh, to be obedient to you as you reveal your will to us and strengthen us, O Lord, that we might bring glory to Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. I dare say most all of you have some kind of GPS device in your possession, and you probably use it from time to time to figure out where you're going. Um, I remember reading about a woman who made this uh, remark about her first GPS. She said, that once she got it, she thought she'd try it out. So she put her home address in it to see what it would do. Sure enough, it began to give her directions. And uh, when she got to the graveyard down the road from her house, it said, you have now reached your destination. <laughs> well, so much for GPS. Uh, many have had difficulties with them. They're not foolproof. Uh, I read this recently about a woman who followed her GPS uh, her GPS was giving her instructions here and there, and uh, her GPS device told her, even though she was standing right there at a gate blocking train tracks, go straight. Where she followed the directions, had to abandon her vehicle, and then it was destroyed by an oncoming train. Perhaps you heard about the woman in Northbridge, Massachusetts, who followed her GPS into a cornfield, from the cornfield onto a golf course, and then into a sand trap. Or the three women who, driving their car in Bellevue, Washington, followed their GPS at night down a boat ramp and into a lake and sank their car. Well, so much for the modern uh, directions that we get from more sophisticated and technological means. I remember not too long ago, before there was any such thing as a GPS, and we actually used maps. Anybody heard those or remember about a map? They're made of paper. They have lines drawn on them. And uh, you followed the map. Of course, maps were difficult because they didn't have a whole lot of detail associated with them, so you could often get lost uh, and miss going your way. Of course, when you're traveling and your map is failing you, what are you supposed to do? Stop and ask for directions, right? Uh, but you all know that men don't do that. How many have you been trapped in a car with a man who would not ask directions? I have been trapped in one myself, and I was the man. <laughs> Researchers find that it is more often men uh, who will not ask for directions. In fact, one researcher made this comment. While women are more than happy to use all available resources to help them reach a goal, men will rigidly stick to a system such as a map or a set of directions, even though it has clearly led them astray. Now, of course, this raises the question of guidance or direction in our lives, and there are those things that are physical in nature. How do we get to this place? Uh, how do we arrive at our destination? But then there is also a more serious thing in our lives, and that is, what do we do about our spiritual lives? What do we do when we find ourselves in some kind of a quagmire, not sure what we should do? Where do we go? What do we do? What's the next step? Well, that's David's situation here at this point of his life. Uh, David has simply been running from one place to the other, hiding in caves, 
here and there to escape the threats of Saul. But Saul is now dead. And so that threat is gone. But David's not living in Israel. David's living in Philistia, where he was hiding from Saul. So now what does he do? What's the next step? Does he return to Israel? What is his, uh, the will of God for his life? So the first thing we note uh, about this passage is the necessity of seeking guidance from God. Here is just a very simple, straightforward encouragement to you, reminding you that you ought always, first and foremost, in every circumstance, pause and seek guidance from God, and most often that is by His Word and prayer. So we first note the necessity of seeking guidance from God. What does David do? Verse 1 tells us, Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, and David brought up his men who were with him also. So here David faces a great need in his life, not unlike what we face on a regular basis ourselves. He's at a crossroads in life. What does he do? A crossroads in the life of Israel, God's covenant people. What will be the next step of development for them? Saul is dead. Jonathan also is dead. Israel is ruined and defeated by uh, their enemies. So what now? Well, David is perplexed. Instead of just setting out, he first makes an inquiry of God. You might assume that the answer to this question is very obvious, that why does David even pause to ask the question? Obviously, you need to go back to Israel. It's the promised land. It's the covenant nation of God. But I think it is noteworthy that David would not take one step back toward Israel without first inquiring of God. Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord. Now, we might ask, well, how did he do that? Uh, David had some means available to him that you and I don't have. I would say David possibly uh, pursued the knowledge of God's will at this point um, at least in one of these three ways I'll suggest to you, perhaps by all three of them. First, David had what we might call sort of a spiritual GPS. He had a, a special thing that was given to him by God that was given to the high priest called the Urim and the Thummim. Perhaps you've read about this curious thing. We're not even sure what it was in the Old Testament scriptures, in um, the instructions given through Moses in Exodus and also uh, in Leviticus, this reference in Deuteronomy, uh, this special object that was worn upon the ephod of the high priest. And the high priest was at times to employ this thing called the Urim and the Thummim to discern the will of God. We don't know exactly how it worked, uh, but it was a special way that God would reveal the will of uh, his will to his people. So perhaps uh, that's what he did. We know he used that in 1 Samuel 30, verses 8 and 9, when he wasn't sure whether he should go into battle or not. David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar 
brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So maybe that's what he did on this occasion. He asked the high priest to come and use this device and help give him guidance. We don't know that for certain. It's not explicitly referenced, but it's certainly a possibility. Or, secondly, and more simply, and something that is available to you and I, is just perhaps David just prayed. Perhaps he just cried out to God and said, God, I don't know what to do right now. Um, I'm in Philistia. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. The people of Israel are in disarray. What should I do? Probably David certainly did this as well. In fact, we see numerous examples all throughout the Psalms of David doing this. We can very confidently confidently conclude that that was the manner of David's spiritual life. It was his pattern often to cry out to God and ask him to give him wisdom. Um, In fact, Psalm 4 verse 1, just one example where David cries out. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So perhaps David just cried out to God in prayer. That privilege that is afforded to every true believer in Christ, to be able to cry out to our God whenever we are in need. And in addition, a third way he could have sought for wisdom is in the principles of and promises of God's word. He could have sought wisdom from the word of God. We know Psalm 119, David wrote in verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And David had heard all that recounting of the history of redemption, of the promises made to Abraham about the promised land, about that land being given to his descendants. So maybe David recalls that and by the guidance and direction he receives from the Word of God, or perhaps all three of these things together, the high priest, uh, prayer, the Word of God, all coming together, all bring him to a place of knowing the will of God. All these means of seeking guidance from the Lord at his disposal. Of course, the question for us is, what do we do when we find ourselves at some difficult place in life, some crossroads in our lives, where we're not certain what it is we ought to do. It's very possible many of you here this morning have major decisions before you and you're not sure what you should do. A job, mate, a move. could be any number of things about which you're perplexed. What do you do when you find yourself at a crossroads in life and you don't know what to do? Well, you and I also can inquire of the Lord for guidance. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we also have a high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is our high priest. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so David inquired of the Lord and sought guidance from the Lord. Now we note the particulars of his inquiry. What did he ask for? What did David say when he prayed? Well, he said, shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? Is that what I should do? And of course, God answers him. And then he asks, where shall I go up? To what city should I go? God says to him, yes, you shall go up. 
go back into the promised land. Go into the cities of Judah. And where shall you go? What particular city? Go to Hebron. This was a wonderful privilege that David had afforded to him by the grace of God. To be able to call upon the God of the heavens and the earth for guidance and direction in your life. Not just as some far off creator out there in the universe somewhere that may or may not hear your prayers, but to call upon your God as your God, a God who has condescended to enter into a covenant relationship with you and invites you then to call upon him when you're in distress. Certainly this is what we have in the gospel, isn't it? The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't call upon God as some far off distant creator, but rather by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good news, you and I call upon a God who is also our heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and invites us to pour out our hearts to him. The sin that would completely cast us aside and keep us out of his presence has been removed from us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is the good news of the gospel that gives us access before our Heavenly Father's throne in prayer. Now, like Romans 6.23, there are several verses in the Scripture that could give you a succinct summary of the gospel, but this is certainly one of them, and it does it very well. Bad news and good news. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't know the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ, if your sins have not been forgiven because of putting your faith and trust in the work of Jesus— then you can't pray in this way. You can't call upon God as your heavenly Father and know that he will answer your prayers and give you guidance and direction. But if you have put your trust in Jesus, if he promises you, you can call out to him, you can knock and the door be opened, you can seek and you will find, you can ask and it shall be given to you because you have this relationship with the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So David calls out, makes inquiry, God says to him, yes, you go to Hebron. Hebron, the favorite place of Abraham, where all the covenant promises would come to place. The place where Abraham and Sarah were both buried. The only piece of land that Abraham actually ever possessed in the promised land. David would go to Hebron and break his relationship with the Philistines and reaffirm his interest in the covenant promises of God, his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. David prays, God answers, gives him guidance, and David acts. You know, it occurs to me that that order is important. Pray, listen for the answer, and then act. It is often the case, I think, in our lives that when we neglect prayer, that what we do first is act. We act first without consulting God. And then we find ourselves lost out there somewhere, not knowing where we're supposed to go. And then, later on, we pray. We act, we mess up, and then we pray, God, clean the mess up. In David's practice here, it's the other way around. First, he's praying, and then he's acting. What is it in your life? Is it the first impulse of your life, when you're at a crossroads, to pray, and then hear, and then act? Or is it to act, And then find yourself praying for God to help you get out of that mess. We note uh, the form of his action. First, he went up. 
Uh, He did not pray and then suspend his action depending on the answer he received. He didn't say, God, what should I do? And then listen for the answer he wanted to hear. He didn't say, I don't like Hebron. I think I'll go to Jerusalem. Or, no, I think I'll just stay here in Philistia. But rather, he did what God told him. Sometimes we don't want to know the answer to our prayers, do we? We pray and say, Lord, tell me what I want to hear. Should I stay or pursue this relationship? God says, no, you need to repent. That's not a good relationship. Is there anybody else out there I can talk to? That's not the answer I wanted to hear. Jesus, on one occasion, said to his disciples, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, the desire to know the will of God must be preceded by a commitment to do that will when it comes to your knowledge. So David goes up and also he brings his wives, his household, his men, and their households as well. It's important to note that the decision that David makes will not just impact his own life personally, but it will have far-reaching ramifications for everyone else under his authority. His wives, his children, his men, their households, everyone will be impacted by it. So important is it then that we begin with prayer, seeking direction from God. That was the focus of the life and ministry of David. Now, secondly, we note that when you pray and God answers and you hear the will of God and you act on that will of God by obedience, then what that does is it moves you forward then in the fulfillment of his overall will and plan for your life. Notice when David answer, God answers David and David then begins to obey, verse 4 says, Then the men of Judah came there and anointed David king over the house of Judah. Up until this time, David was the anointed one, but he had no authority over anybody. Although he was the one selected by God, and Samuel the prophet, according to the will of God, anointed him to be the king, no one yet recognized him as the king. But David was always praying with an eye toward the promoting of of the kingdom of God. Sometimes, when we're in the midst of some issue and it's some particular thing we're praying about, we're not sure what to do, we're asking God, give us direction, and then we say, okay, I'll take that next step. We need to pull back and realize that that next step is probably the thing that's going to move us closer to that final destination where God would have us to go. It is most often the case, this this has been my experience, God doesn't give me a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan. Most often the case is that I know what the next step is. But when I take that next step in obedience to God, then I see the next step, and the next step, and the next step. The next thing you know is 33 years and you're back baptizing your grandson something you could have hardly ever even imagined 33 years ago. So David is moving back to Hebron, but that's not just what's taking place. It's not just a move back uh, to the land of Israel. It's more than that. 
in the big picture scheme of things, it's one step forward in the fulfillment of God's will for his life and one more step forward in the fulfillment of the great plan of redemption of the coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah, David's greater son. David moves to Hebron and the kingdom of God suddenly begins to become manifest, concrete, visible. He is anointed as the king over the house of Judah and finally begins to reign. And then later on the other 12 tribes will come and place themselves under his authority. And then David's reign will give way to Solomon's reign and Solomon's reign to Rehoboam and Rehoboam to the other kings all the way down until Jesus himself, David's greater son, is born to Mary and begins to reign over the house of Israel and the house of David. One step taken and one step closer to the fulfillment and realization of the plan of God in your life. So David seeks guidance from the Lord. He follows the guidance. And one step closer, one step more is realized in the fulfillment of the will of God. Every time you seek to know the will of God and pray, and then you take action to do the will of God, you are moving one step forward spiritually. God is moving you forward in the fulfillment of his will for your life. That's how you move forward spiritually. Know and do the will of God revealed to you in the word of God and discerned by prayer and searching out the word of God. Now you might think that if you follow this very simple plan that is laid before us here in the life of David, that then everything in your life is going to just go smoothly from then on out. But that's not the case. In fact, we see lastly in verses 8 to 11 that God's guidance does not come without opposition. What's the next thing you read in verse 8? But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead. As soon as David finds himself finally realizing the next step in the will of God for his life, one tribe recognizing him as king, Abner leads a rebellion, and there's opposition to the will of God. Nothing could be more clear, even to Abner, than the fact that David is to be the king of Israel. Samuel anointed David by the direct decree of God. This is not a matter in question. Yet Abner rebels against the clearly stated will of God, grabs the only remaining son of Saul, and makes him king over all the other tribes of Israel. Ambition, power, prestige, all those things working in his heart. There is always a battle being waged against the kingdom of God and against the will of God. And to set up Ishbosheth as the king of the other tribes was not just opposing David, it was opposing God. 
there's a bigger picture that we need to be reminded of in this whole matter of pursuing the knowledge of God's will and doing the will of God, and that is this spiritual warfare and battle that's going on always behind the scenes. You and I are going to encounter opposition as soon as we set our heart upon doing what God's declared to us to be His will. That opposition might even come from our own families at times. Jesus warned His disciples of that in Matthew 10. But remember that Jesus tells us that his kingdom starts small and then it grows larger. David started out 11 to 1, but eventually prevailed. Jesus started out with even greater odds than that. But now his kingdom has gone to the far reaches of the earth. Opposition will come, but those who commit themselves to the will of God will prevail. Very simple lesson for us spiritually. What a blessed condition to be a subject of the kingdom of Christ, David's greater son. To seek and receive the wisdom and guidance of God as we call out upon our Heavenly Father in prayer. And to know that your life is moving forward spiritually as you in obedience to God act on that which he reveals to you. And then to know, yes, opposition might come, but in the final analysis, you will prevail. May God help us as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this simple lesson of your word, and yet so often neglected by us. We think of anything and everything to do but pray. We pray, Heavenly Father, and ask you that you would work in us by your Spirit, that to inquire of you would be the first impulse of our lives, and then give us the courage to be obedient to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.